Welcome everybody to episode 163 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which features myself, Ben, in Minneapolis. And I am David in sunny Oregon. I'm in <laughs> muggy Minneapolis at the moment. And um, we're continuing our exploration of season 13. Lucky 13. Yeah. yeah. And this is your favorite season. Yeah, I can't decide whether this is my favorite season or whether actually season 14 is my favorite season. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, so, so hopefully. By, by examination of the following stories, we'll find out. We will find out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I oscillate between the two, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a pretty perfect season. I mean, we are going to deal with, the, I think, the only real clunker if we were looking at... Um, Android invasion, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But first, pyramids, pyramids of Mars. Mars. That's that's got to be a top five for me. It's an incredible piece. I was watching it last night, uh-huh. and I was struck by just how good it was. Yeah, it stands up as like just a really good piece of drama, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this and horror are the only classic Doctor Who stories where pretty much everyone dies. Yeah, which is you know stark bleak bob holmes though <laughs> yeah bob holmes that's the kind of stuff bob holmes wanted and then mm-hmm. uh, other the co-writer other co-writer lewis griefer who i don't know much about to be honest hmm. okay um i've got my wikipedia up here um uh-huh. oh he wrote the initial draft ah yep. there you and go it proved unworkable because he had things set in the british museum and then he kind of disappeared or got busy with work and hinchcliffe told holmes or they agreed upon that Bob would do a complete rewrite for it, and so this is what we have. Yeah, and this, I mean, if, if, the, if the ostensible purpose of our current podcasting theme is um, Tom Baker, mm-hmm. this really showcases his range as an actor, as I, mm-hmm. I think. And as I think I've, I'm some, obviously we're rehashing some old ground here, so obviously I'm going to re- be repeating myself a little bit, but... What I, one of the things I like about this is it does give that corrective to sort of the American fandom or, you know, the acceptive, accepted kind of public perception of Tom Baker is all about, you know, all teeth and curls and mm. offering jelly babies to everybody and, you know, all that kind of nonsense. He's re- <laughs> none really, of that here. No. no, none of that here. This is really kind of grim sci-fi mm-hmm. horror well, it's not really sci-fi. It's kind of cosmic Lovecraftian horror is what it is. Yeah, it's more the ancient evil from the dawn of time type. Yeah, uh, yeah. Evil with Sutek and the Osirens. And it's it kind of stems into what we were discussing last week of the ancient astronauts. This is Tom Baker's doctor battling ancient astronauts effectively. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, I'm, I'm, we'll probably come on to this when we come to talk about Android, but I'm reading the, mm-hmm. um, currently reading the most recent, this kind of recent biography of Terry Nation. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to forget what it's called now, even though I'm reading it. No, yes, here you go. Yeah, The Man Who Invented the Daleks, written by a man called Alwyn Turner. Um, and I ordered that, I, maybe I'll just, I'll just talk about it now. I mean, I ordered it on a whim, mm-hmm. um, and it's really, really good. Oh. I thought it was going to be one of those kind of fan biographies where, you know, they basically just copy stuff out of Doctor Who magazine. Um, but this is actually <laughs> a really, really, it's a proper biography and very interesting. Um, but anyway, um, why was I talking about that? Oh, Android Invasion. Um, oh, no. 
Extra astronauts, and uh, obviously talking about Death of the Daleks, which is you know, one of the first appearances of kind of ancient astronauts. Um, but that's a more of a kind of traditional, you know, in Mayan pyramids kind of ancient astronauts thing. Right. Pyramids of Mars is 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 less ancient astronauts and more kind of ancient evil, basically. Um, mm. It's not that the ancient astronauts were kind of benevolent or kind of technologi- no. technologically no. advanced. The ancient astronauts were horrific horrific monsters that we had to worship otherwise they'd kill us you know right right yeah and then they set a trap basically i I never understood why horus (laughs) left a gateway in egypt to to uh release his brother's set why do that (laughs) well isn't isn't that kind of explained a little bit in the in the Mm. in the in the story i mean i to me is and i actually i haven't watched this recently but as far as I can recall, there's a bit about, you know, the Asirans being really kind of complicated. Um, you know, minds like, is it minds like, spi- spiral, like, like spiral yeah. staircases? Um, yeah, which seems to me yeah. to be a pretty good kind of in-universe explanation of plot deficiency by saying, you know, these are crazy aliens from the dawn of time. Like, who mm. knows what the hell they're up to? Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe these games and these tricks that they play on each other is kind of what they do. And... We shouldn't, you know, we can't really kind of second guess them because we don't really know what they're up to. Mm -hmm. Well, I suppose you need to have a lock somewhere. And if the lock is on another planet and it survived, what, almost 3,000 years, that it's a pretty good lock. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and again, it's 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 you 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 know, you have a secret society. I mean, this is a you know really kind of common kind of pulp. Yeah. theme from you know mid 20th mm-hmm. century kind of pop literature you have a secret society that's been going on for thousands of years to protect it um yeah it's mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's awesome yeah it, it fits really well it, i think it also it's it's an interesting commentary because i believe holmes was an ex-policeman i believe he was yeah and this fits in with the doctor as uh, investigating mysteries which i think creeps in more and more uh, with Holmes's right. uh, tenure as scriptwriter, but he has a line early on when uh, Lawrence wants to call the police, and Holmes puts in Baker's mouth that the police would only hamper his investigations. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, I think he's crafting the Tom Baker doctor into be more like the Sherlock Holmes. That's a line that you would get from uh, Sherlock Holmes rather than the doctor in earlier incarnations, I think. Yeah, and of course, at the, at the end of the next season, the Doctor is full-on, full-on Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, so it, it does seem to be, with these period pieces, that's kind of the guise that Bob Holmes kind of sees the Doctor in. Yeah. As Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. And even, like, the role of companion becomes more of a Doctor Watson who asks the questions and... The doctor is saying, you know, work it out for yourself and teaching that kind of bleeds into the uh, educating Eliza Doolittle bit with Leela that we see later on. So I think it's it's an idea that they had and maybe coming from the master being Moriarty. So like, well, then that must mean the doctor is more like Sherlock Holmes and he becomes more like Sherlock Holmes after Dixon Letts run with him because we don't really have the master until next season yeah yeah and he's and you know like Sherlock Holmes you know he's kind of mysterious and mercurial and Mm -hmm. super intelligent and doesn't really kind of tell you what's going on until he's ready to tell you what's going on um Mm -hmm. 
and flashes of anger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And just kind of annoyed annoyedness of the humans or the people around him right. that they're not very sharp. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and uh, you know, a focus on the mystery or the uh, on the result and mm-hmm. you know there's collateral damage with people dying like right left and center. But the explanation there is, well, you know, if you think it's bad now, you just wait until we lose against this cosmic horror and right. there'll be a lot more people dead. So we just need to push on and deal with this thing. Yeah, they have to tackle what's at hand or else it's going to be worse. Yeah. Even though the guest cast is dropping like flies. Yeah, yeah. No, we lose. Um, I mean, the, I think the uh, it's the death of Lawrence Scarman is, the is I think, the key piece there um, where, mm-hmm. you know, Sarah is kind of aghast, but they just have to move on. Yeah, I was talking with Rita, and she says, oh, this is a sad one because Lawrence dies. And it adds that emotional punch, and you would expect in, I think, an earlier earlier show production that Lawrence Garman at least would survive. Right. Or you wouldn't see, like, the poacher or Clements, who's the uh, butler. Right, 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 right. Those type characters would survive well maybe not clements because we see the uh villa diodati true valet die yeah so i don't know it's kind of bleak it doesn't uh give i mean any character that you gravitate onto they're gonna die they're not gonna make it through it's just the main cast that uh survives and the story i think is held up as one of the best stories there is but it is also pretty um dark in some ways yeah, and it's you know it's a it's a it's a apart from the um, apart from the kind of fantasy aspects of it, the kind of horror of a you know a monster, not a monster, you know, an entity, mm-hmm. an unknowable entity of death from the beginning of time. There's also a kind of a sort of a Terminator style locked room horror of it as well. You know, the that there's a perimeter established, and then everyone in within that perimeter is eliminated right. and you can't get through that perimeter you know it's, it's you know it's 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 a kind of it's a, it's a dream it's a dream horror it's the idea that, you know that you're being pursued by something mm-hmm. that even though that thing moves really slowly and you can outrun it basically it will never stop so yeah you can run away from the mummies and you can get to the you can get to the invisible barrier but you can't get through that invisible barrier and eventually however slowly and lumbery they may be they're going to get you and they're not going to kill you in a nice way they're not going to you know they're not going to shoot you or something they're going to crush you between their big mummy chests <laughs> you know which again i mean these are deliberate decisions i think mm-hmm. that are made by robert holmes you know the mummies easily could have had you know an auton style flashbang right in their hands that would like zap you <laughs> we see it in Fine. the next episode with uh android invasion where you're exactly finger very guns. very easy right yeah finger gun easy no problem at all with that but there was a decision made that these mummies would not have that technology even though they're you know they're creatures of a you know, an impossibly advanced civilization, the way they kill, the way they choose to kill you, i.e. the way that Robert Holmes has chosen to have them kill you, is that they just crush you against each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and again, I mean, sorry, I'm, go I'm going ahead. to go on yeah. about kind of hor- horrible deaths, you know, and then Namian, you know, one of my kind of favorite deaths <laughs> of all Doctor Who, um, again, you know, there's no kind of flashbang laser beam death. Um, he's kind of part strangled and part burnt and part kind of psychically eliminated. You know, it's just right. amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
But these are all choices that have been made. This could be a lot more kind of laser gunny, and it's not at all. Right. It's all completely analog, you know, even down to, again, another favorite scene of Sarah taking aim at the... Um, the Jellicknight on the pyramid. Right, right. It's all very, very kind of low-tech and grim and gritty. Um, and then, like, when the doctor wants to pick a lock, it's not the sonic screwdriver. I mean, the sonic screwdriver comes out in other places when he wants to um, take apart the Knopka jar. But when he's trying to unlock a door, it's a French pick lock. Right, yeah. So yeah, it, it's, it's, it's uh, the technology, for the most part, when it's dealing with the contemporary objects of the time, it's of contemporary technology. It's only when the doctor faces uh, more advanced technology of the Osirens that he uses the advanced Gallifreyan technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, a, it's a exactly. nice it's a nice mesh up. And Tom in this, I think, is phenomenal too. Just from the early scene of him being, br- we open up with him on the TARDIS. And he's just being broody and middle-aged and rethinking his life choices. He has his TARDIS back. He shouldn't be going after the Brigadier all the time. Yeah. Just even scenes like when they're handling the Jellic Knight that Sarah's always trying to make him laugh or make him smile. But he's just not in the mood, you know, and he's very serious all the way through it. And there's just other scenes like when he's whispering Sutek, last of the Osirens, in on Mars, and then the blast, that, that psychic blast, that psionic blast that Sutek gets him in, and with Tom's pain and, mm-hmm. and slumping yeah. down, it's it's really showcasing the Doctor and playing off what you said earlier. He's not joking in this at all. This is not teeth and curls and jelly babies. Yeah, though, I mean, there is that marvelous kind of comedy bit. Um, when they are on Mars, when they do the kind of the double take, mm-hmm. which has got to be, I mean, uh, one thing, uh, one thing to say about it, I mean, that's got to be kind of improvised on it the is. spot. It is. Uh, <laughs> um, but, I mean, it is actually a nice, I mean, it works for me character-wise because, you know, this is, it's a struggle, obviously, to kind of work through, uh, you know, work through the traps. I mean, obviously, you know, the traps are, solvable because this is a ostensibly a kids tv show so you know they're not kind of un, unsolvable traps as they're kind of t- described they're childish but, you know, this, stratagems <laughs> childish stratagems but this is when for me that scene is 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 okay you know that actually the doctor is starting to cheer up a bit mm-hmm. um because there is a there is a plan here to, right. to you know to actually defeat defeat the enemy Mm -hmm. um and he's kind of on an upswing because uh you know this is the kind of manic energy of uh of a again a kind of a sherlock holmes who has you know got a plan and is kind of following through with that plan right and can see and you know victory is is possible at this point yeah 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 even though they're playing up that he is a time lord he does have an ability like even when he's talking with Lawrence about the Marconi scope that he, the radio telescope, he's very personable. And that comes across then with the way Mark, Michael Sherrod plays Lawrence, that he's just delighted in showing off his invention to the doctor. But then the doctor <laughs> takes out of his pocket a more advanced advanced version. So it's, it's, it's a bit of a one-upsmanship, but it's also he's very... The doctor's very friendly in a way and redirecting questions in tell me how this works. So, right, I think it's well written and it's well portrayed by Baker in 
this is more of a redefinition or a bakerization of the doctor's character. And this this is one of the signposts of this Hinchcliffe Holmes era that shows uh, how the doctor's personality has changed so much from, well, from Hartnell, but through from specifically from Pertwee. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this idea of, you know, this person being the same person, but but different which is which is nice about the character mm-hmm. yeah and i think what's different about this era too is this isn't like what the time monster where the doctor builds the marconi scope out of cups and saucers and stuff there isn't a working marconi scope there is a working radio telescope and the doctor just brings out his own pocket version of it rather than uh macgyvering up a little uh version right. of, it, of himself so it does give uh lawrence a little by killing off Lawrence it explains why okay this is why he invented it decades before it was actually invented it was lost when he died and it was destroyed by the mummies so it's it's a nice way of putting it in and there's really not a reason for it other than to give Lawrence a little bit of depth yeah because the doctor could have concluded on his own sort of like well this signal must be coming from mars because there's all these egyptian things around so you didn't need to work it in but it's a nice little world building detail that not only expands the character of lawrence garman he isn't just you know this estate living person or you know right. obviously of, of money because he's there the scarmans are on this great estate but he's also dabbles in natural history science whatever which would be yeah, very yeah. good for period of the time so it yeah it's a nice nice uh, fleshing out of the character well this is i mean this is i think what we've always been saying about robert holmes he's just really really good at that he's really 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 good at subtly well, he's great. At, I mean, at, you know, satisfying plots, um, mm-hmm. and he's great at world building and mm-hmm. just kind of dropping in little details and little kind of character notes, um, which don't jar with the forward movement of the plot, but just kind of flesh everything out so these people feel real, so that when Lawrence Scarman dies, you feel that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, as you pointed out, he didn't have to die. That was a choice that Bob Holmes made, mm-hmm. and I think he knew that if I flesh this person out then when he dies, you'll really feel it. If if I don't bother to do that, then you won't feel it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just very, very well done. Mm -hmm. Very well done. And even, and even with, um, even with Marcus Scarman, I mean, I I think I've said, I said this when um, we last, (laughs) last talked about Pyramids of Mars, probably years ago now. Mm -hmm. But my absolute favorite point of the story is when, um, Sutek is freed um, mm-hmm. in episode four when the the zombified or is he dead? We don't really know. Marcus Garman right. says, you know, free, free at last, which is and then, you know, collapses to, to the ground. And it's such a perfect piece of plotting and writing because not only is that Sutek saying I'm free and free at last, but also it's Marcus Garman saying mm-hmm. I'm free, I'm free at last. I'm yeah. no longer possessed by this hideous alien and now I am, I, now I can die. You know, it's a great, just a fabulous, fabulous piece of kind of sci-fi fantasy writing, which is so satisfying and modern, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, it, this this really feels like a a story that could have been written recently by it's a very sophisticated piece of storytelling yeah yeah exactly yeah. 
I, I, Very sophisticated. I don't think it would have. It would have been a m- more of a Moffat story, I think, than a Chibnall story. For, for no, I, I think. I think. I think. When I when I when I when I, when I say modern, I, I, I don't even. I don't really mean modern. Who mm-hmm. I mean, actually, kind of your know, contemporary. You know, China Mayville, um, uh, M. Jim Harrison. You know, a, a, an actual lauded, award-winning sci-fi writer. Right. You know, and I'm not saying that Moffat and Chibnall aren't also lauded and award-winning sci-fi writers, but, you know, this feels like a truly sophisticated piece of storytelling in a way that, unfortunately, you know, I think a lot of contemporary modern who isn't that sophisticated. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it can be complicated, um, but that doesn't mean it's sophisticated. Mm-hmm. I think there'd be only a few tweaks of dialogue and probably a reworking of the puzzles at the end um, I'm not sure why the puzzles get so much of a stick. It seems like they're, I think the biggest uh, objection to it is that there was done similarly in uh, City of the Exelons. Right, And Death right. of the Daleks. I mean, is that the only reason or are they truly childish stratagems? Is it, what, what do you think is the reason why? Well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, there's a lot of nerds who like Doctor Who. (laughs) Um, You know, a lot of people who like maths and stuff like that, you know, and Mm -hmm. kind of, you know, relatively simple logic problems and therefore find the relatively simple logic problems to be not very satisfying or, you know, um, sophisticated, even though I've just said sophisticated. I can remember when I was a kid, uh, the the whole kind of, you know, which, which mummy is which... It's got a name. That problem's got a name, hasn't it? The you know, my brother is, you know, where he has to decide which mummy is which, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that 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 that's a that's an. It's, I think it, you know, it goes back to the ancient Greeks or something. That particular kind of logic, logic problem. Um, so it's not a complex thing, but it was the first time I'd ever heard of it, um, mm-hmm. and I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. And um, uh, used to kind of you know do it on my friends like on. <laughs> on a regular basis because I just thought it was the most complicated and interesting verbal problem that I'd ever, that I'd ever encountered, you right. know, age, however old I was, Eight, nine, nine years old. Nine, yeah. yeah. Nine years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Patty Russell, I think brings out the best in Tom Baker in the times that she directs him and uh, both here and in horror Fang rock. I think even though they have such an antagonistic relationship between the two of them, I think she just brings out a really good um, portrayal from Tom Baker. It's a it's a shame that she was only used uh, twice to direct him because yeah, I don't know if he he just bristles at being directed by a woman or if her very demanding directorship brings out the best in him. But he really bristles and uh, shines as the doctor in the roles that she directs him in in the stories yeah. that she directs him in and i think it's yep. i think she's an amazing director i think her, her earlier work like uh, um dinosaur invasion is another classic and she's one of the undersung directors in classic who because all of her stories are pretty amazing <laughs> pretty amazing yeah. i mean Mark Gatiss is a big fan of uh, The Massacre, which oh. I think was one of her first, I think her first directorial debut. And sadly, the visuals are lost to us. But yeah. she is able to bring out in Tom two amazing performances with Pyramids and Horror of Fang Rock. And I wish she would have had more. Yeah. 
No, it's a real shame. She, she again. I mean, we can't. We don't really know what's going on with the massacre, and we probably never will. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But dinosaurs is a standout, amazing six-parter, mm-hmm. and pyramids and Fang Rock are all you know standout four-parters. Yeah, you know exactly, yeah. and just beautifully told and shot and everything. Well, yeah. well, just. With the scene where she's filming in the shaving mirror, the mirror on the organ, and we see the mummy's reflection, and then we pull out and then see uh, Namin playing on the organ. There's a lot of these really visually interesting shots that she has and camera moves that she has that you know other Who directors would just pull it full stage back get the whole thing in and you would just get these small uh no camera movements at all it'd be filmed like a stage play where you just have uh everyone in frame and they would just be talking to each other but she does amazing amazing bits with her camera work in her direction yeah. and she like i said brings it out the best in tom she she's responsible for sarah being able to handle the rifle and developing Sarah's character and giving her yeah. competency as the there's definitely women on on the set but Sarah's the only female on the cast uh, yeah. an entirely male centric cast which is another hallmark of Bob Holmes but then also you have Patty Russell who's a woman director and she I think looked out for Sarah. I think this is not something that Liz Sladen came up with in rehearsals, like uh, the ad hoc uh, uh, reversal when they're... Double take. Yeah, the double take. This is Patty Russell saying, Sarah has this ability, and it's going to be Sarah who does it, and who's competent with a gun. So I think it's, it's a nice development for Sarah to give her a little bit of backstory in the background. You can... I don't know the history of firearms uh, usage in the UK, but <laughs> maybe somehow she, the, I guess the knock against that is where would Sarah have learned that? But maybe something in her upbringing and her family history that she learned how to fire a rifle. Well, actually, you know what? I, I There was some, oh, I can't remember where I read this. You know, some somewhere online, there was like someone was writing out a backstory for Sarah and, you know, <laughs> that she grew up on her great aunt's farm in yorkshire and had to like shoot foxes or something mm-hmm. um and actually i don't like any of that i really? well i my my own kind of fan head canon here is that sarah is just super uber competent mm-hmm. and you can give her something to do and she will do it and she'll do it well because she's really good at doing things mm. um and you know if you put her in a crisis situation and you tell her okay you're the person who's going to have to activate this piece of crisis she's just going to She's just going to do it. I mean, shooting a gun is not that... I mean, I've shot guns. It's not that difficult. Um, uh, anyone can pick up a gun and pull the trigger. What Sarah is able to do here is kind of, you know, work the gun properly and hit the target. Right. And I think that just shows that she's an amazing individual. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't have to have a backstory of shooting rabbits on her great aunt's farm. Mm-hmm. Um, she just... The, her backstory, she's just, she's just really awesome and, mm-hmm. you know a badass it's like uh your your take is like a these are the heroes of course they're going to be good at it because they're the heroes they're 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 right you know this may be the first time luke picks up a lightsaber or uh fires a you know a gun or something like that but he's going to be competent at it because this is who he is you're not quest you're not questioning it in other 
comparative genre works. It's only because yeah. of I, I wonder if if Harry had picked up the gun, we wouldn't even had questioned it because obviously he has had military training. I think he's in the navy, you know, where I guess they shoot guns a lot. Well, no, they probably don't. But yeah, no, we absolutely we wouldn't have questioned Harry at all, and with the reason we wouldn't have questioned him because he's a man. Right, and I think that might be a, a sexist criticism on Sarah more than anything else. And she's obviously shot a camera, so she knows how to look through a sight and focus in and <laughs> hit, hit a target. So, you know, there's, yep. like, I, mean, to go, I, 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 like, yeah. I like your reasoning better because it is showing that Sarah is super competent, and I think it's probably a less sexist explanation than trying to create this elaborate uh, elaborate hunting backstory, backstory for her well i mean the other thing i mean you know you reference star wars and luke skywalker again what's what makes sarah more awesome here that she's not like the son of darth vader or whoever right luke skywalker is you know she's got no kind of hidden superpower that you know is revealed through you know a series of increasingly tedious movies um <laughs> yes she's she's just really really good at stuff mm-hmm. and actually just thinking about it, and this is partly you know because i've been reading this terry nation biography and you know thinking about the avengers and those kind of itc crime thrillers of the 60s um it's you know we don't you know, we don't give, you know, Emma Peel like a strong backstory right. with her and Steed, um, John Steed. We just know that they're the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Emma Peel is super awesomely competent at fighting people. Right. Um, I don't know the, the Avengers well enough, I'm afraid, to actually know whether Emma Peel does have some kind of crazy backstory. But it's the Avengers. And it is, a, you know, whatever backstory she's got is probably nonsense because, you know, the show is deliberately nonsense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here Sarah is Emma Peel. She's Modesty Blaze. She's one of those 60s heroines who's just really good. She's competent. Yeah. And I like seeing competence in our main characters. And I think she's always competent, I guess. Yeah. And, I, you know, without without wanting to kind of, you know, razz too much on contemporary who, you know, she's got no disability to overcome. Um, you know, I think. Well, aside for weak ankles and that. In, well, in we, our yeah, next I suppose she's. In our I next suppose story. she has got weak ankles. Yes. That's true. Yes. Maybe I was going to say I was going to contrast her with um, what's his name and his Axe or whatever it is. Um, I'm blanking. Ryan. Ryan and his, you know, inability to climb ladders unless he actually has to climb a ladder, in which case he's fine. You know, she's got no, um, you know, and I think what makes this good is 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 I think what makes this better is that she's not given an artificial handicap to unhand I'm using handicap in the broad sense an artificial handicap to overcome um what you realize is the artificial handicap that she has to overcome is the fact that she's she's she and her friend are fighting against an ancient evil from the dawn of time you don't need to throw in like and she's also got axphrasia so she can't climb a ladder mm-hmm. the situation is stressful enough without her giving some without her give, giving some of this kind of bolt-on character accoutrement which makes no sense yeah yeah so another bit in this i think this is probably one of simpson dudley simpson's greatest scores for classic who uh surely this is memorable for you too i mean you oh yeah no i i'm i'm not i'm not i I said i'm not the i I don't really have a mute that much of a musical memory You're, Mm -hmm. you're you're the musical memory guy it is amazing. So, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely agreed. Yep. And it's 
throughout the story, that since so much of the drama is uh, chasing, investigating, there's a lot being said with music through this, and we have a reprise, like when the doctor and Sarah, after they meet Clements, uh, are told to leave through the window, they jump out the window, and we have a little reprise of the doctor's theme. Um, right. Just different weaving of melodies in with the organ playing, which is an actual pipe organ in a, in a church that's being brought in with with the ensemble bits. It's a beautiful piece of music to listen to just on its own without without the dialogue. There are pieces in this that you can hear just clearly because there is no dialogue going over it. So you really get a good sense of Simpson rising to the challenge. It's much more cinematographic. Uh, anyways, the, mu- the music is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you're a lot more of an expert on the kind of nuts and bolts of Dudley Simpson than I am. Would you say that Simpson you know, responded well to the good stories and less well to the bad stories? That he, like us, was able to go, okay, Pyramids of Mars is awesome, this really inspires me, here's the score, Android Invasion is okay so he's not such a good score was it is it as kind of as simple as that i don't know did he know or are are we being kind of reductive and going okay the score to pyramids of mars is awesome because pyramids of mars is awesome um and Mm, the score to android avoidance is less good because it's less good i think he was asked to do more in uh more to convey mood to convey atmosphere in uh, a historical drama, a historical sci-fi drama, than was necessary, perhaps, in a contemporary story, contemporary set story. So maybe by weaving mm. in elements of, uh, right, uh, by taking in a, a real pipe organ recording, it adds a richness that you aren't going to get with just a a, a, a studio big a synthesizer organ. And so perhaps it's the instrument choice, which is. Uh, uh, predicated right. upon having a, uh, the set design where you're going to have a big house organ in Scarman's mansion. So it could be just that uh, by setting it in a period type piece that he gets more uh, a bigger budget because not every director is going to say, yeah, we're going to rent out a church to play a big pipe organ. So maybe that's the, maybe that's the difference. Maybe that adds to the atmosphere. So I haven't done a, a which are the best Simpson scores and which are the best stories. I think right, we'll right. have to defer to others <laughs> on Simpsonology, but uh, or to, well, we we do we, we do we, we do have a hotline to one of the experts. So maybe I'll ask Jess next week. So any good. other th- any other things? It's a good, good no. I, I, it's it's, it's Android invasion. Or? Yeah, let's 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 see whether we can knock off Android invasion. I mean, um, this is I think if you look at it from a production standpoint, this is Hinchcliffe going. We have and both Hinchcliffe and Holmes. We have an we have reliable hands in this. We we have a Terry Nation script. What could go wrong with a Terry Nation script? And we have Barry Letts directing. What could go wrong with Barry Letts directing? So I think this is kind of let down in some ways with just a general theme that they're doing. Of uh, we have uh, Impossible Planet and Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde in. Th- the planet of evil we have terror of the zygons or you know the, that was carried 
Terror of the Zygons that was carried forth from season 12 to right. kick this open. We have Pyramids of Mars, which is a uh, hammer horror uh, mummy movies. And now we get this uh, pretty, I don't know, cliched. Uh, yeah it's it's i mean it's an invasion plot? yeah it's i mean basically you know again i mean like i just referenced it's 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 the avengers hmm. so like it's a mysterious village our two heroes one of which is an older man and the other is a younger woman they stumble upon some kind of wild and crazy conspiracy and if this was the avengers then it would be it would then be kind of wrapped up in an hour and we'd all go home because this is doctor who we've actually got 2 hours to do this um and we have to make it sci-fi so the the, the earlier parts of the android invasion are great episode um, 1 I, is super there's nothing wrong with episode 1 it isn't until you not. start weaving in the crawls once you see the crawl peeking through the window it's it's not as good <laughs> no and, and and you know the cliffhanger where sarah's face falls off i mean yeah. that's that's one of the very best cliffhangers of you know if you want to kind of you know rate cliffhangers that's one of the very best ones um and weirdly again you just rewinding we rewinding myself back to my nine-year-old self i remember also being disappointed by the crawls uh, I mean, I like the, you know, the, the whole, whole kind of monster reveal thing, which is, you know, it's, it's always been exciting. Like, you only see bits of them until you finally see them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the eye of the Kral was like, wow, yeah, that's, it, this is going to be an awesome monster. But then they end up being kind of shuffly rhino things. Hunchbacks. With, like, with kind of scary, hairy ears. Um, <laughs> and, you know, their plan, even to my nine-year-old self, didn't make a huge amount of sense. And it is a lot of, you know, it's it's clear with Terry Nation, he's got so many great ideas. At some points during his career, he just tends to reshuffle those ideas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know at this point, you know, he was getting started or maybe he had already started on, on, on writing and developing Survivors, which was the first show that actually had his name on it and was always a very, very important show for him. And... I won't say phoning it in because I think he's, he's actually too interesting a writer to say what he phoned it in. But, you know, he basically took all the things that he liked and he shook them up in a cocktail shaker and then out came the Android invasion. Um, but as I said, you know, it's an episode of the Avengers that is then also Doctor Who. And I think actually what's, what's also sort of interesting to me is that that's also one of the things people say about Seeds of Doom, which yeah, will be coming yeah. on to next week, that, you know, it's it's an episode of The Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, and But with the Seeds of Doom, I think it's done well. And with the Android Invasion, it's done less less good. Yeah, and, it, you know, it refers back to kind of bits of Who mythology that we sort of jettisoned at this point, which is, you know, there's a British space program. <laughs> um, uh, you know, well, actually, that's the main piece of Who mythology that we've kind of jettisoned at this point. You know, it's it's obvious that there, there never was and never will be a British space program, but we're still talking about it here in the Android Invasion. Yeah, it's a big difference in the five, six years since uh, Ambassadors of Death was filmed that... yeah. Yeah, a, a lot, lot has a... happened. Even the American space program is, the Apollo program is over by this yeah. point, and Skylab I think is uh, hasn't crashed yet, but certainly not being occupied. And there, no, uh, only the Soviets have a space program at this point that has people going up in space. And to set this in 1980, if that's the logical conclusion that we have from the previous episode where Sarah says she's from 1980, that's just wildly off mark 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, the whole you're know, going to the pub and the the weird coins and the you know, I mean, that's just as I said, it's it's it, there's one it's it's one show, mm-hmm. and then it, it then has to kind of pivot basically in episode two, episode three to being another show completely, um, mm-hmm. and that pivot is just not really kind of handled very well mm-hmm. because it doesn't really work basically. Mm-hmm. And also, we have back to back robots and androids. We have the robots mummies, and then we have the androids, and we have the doppelgangers coming off the Zygons, and then we have the android duplicates in, uh, in Android Invasion, it's, it seems like we're retreading even the season's grounds on this. And even though, like you said, this story comes before Seeds of Doom with the Avenger bit, we're going to retread on Avengers grounds too. So I guess something has to be on the bottom of a season, and this one... Yeah, does so. I mean, in in its defense, it's 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 a fun story to watch. I mean, I haven't watched it for a while, but last time I watched, you know, it doesn't, you know, there's there's plenty of incident, mm-hmm. and Barry Lett does a great job directing it. The cast do a great job acting in it. Um, I personally feel that if they'd been able to get uh, Nicholas Courtney, that would have really raised it um, mm. because it would have been like, oh yeah, it's a unit. It, it, then it would it would be like a full on unit story because. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, the brigadier is unit mm-hmm. um, and, you know, Colonel Faraday or whoever he is, um, is no one really cares about that. Right. But, you know, there's yeah, people are captured, people escape. There's an alien. People twist their ankles. There's robots. <laughs> um, there's a space program. There's a mysterious astronaut with a badly explained away eye patch. You know, it's uh, yeah, it's it's. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's a fun story. It's a fun story. It doesn't have the depth of characterization that we have come to expect from the previous stories, and I think that's maybe one of the challenges that Terry Nation had as a writer is he's actually you know making realistic characters, especially when the characters themselves are not particularly realistic. If you see what mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that's the kind of genius of Bob Holmes is that he's able to kind of drop in these character beats that kind of flesh out these non-characters. Basically, Terry Nation is just okay. We just go from one exciting thing to the next exciting thing until we're done. Right, right. Did you have you ever visited East Hagborn? Uh, I've not been to East Hagborn. Where... Okay, no, no. Um, I'll have to put it on my list. Um, whereabouts in Oxfordshire is it? Hang on, I'm gonna look it up now. Okay. Um, it's one mile south of Didcot. Hmm. It's certainly visitable. Okay. So what stood out in my mind for this growing up is I really liked the village. I liked the hollyhocks that were planted outside the houses. I liked the, I liked the look of this little uh, Oxfordshire village. And I liked the location scenes with the woods. It's very... It's a very pleasing, beautiful, scenic uh, little village that Let's scouted to film this in. And that's what stood out to me in it. That's what my memory is of it uh, growing up, seeing it for the first few times in the early 80s, was the exotic, to me, locations of this country village. Uh, okay, here's, here's, a, here's a question that I've been asking. Um, yeah. Was this the first kind of British village that you'd seen? Mm-mm, because we had what was what was the previous we had the, we had the Zygon one. Oh yeah, Scotland. Yeah, okay. So okay, so Scotland and uh, 
It must have been. But the, I mean, but, but this, but this but, the English. But, yeah. So this would probably be the first English. Yeah, I would think so because we don't really see much in robot. No, and and, and again, I mean, you know, the kind of archetypal British village is is Allborn and 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 Devil's End, but of course mm-hmm. you wouldn't, yeah, have, wouldn't seen have seen that, that. yet. No, no, no at all. So, uh, I mean, yeah, this is a pretty this is a pretty typical you know Oxfordshire village. Um, it's maybe slightly more half timbered than some of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just saying, yeah, I know it's. I, I should go there. It's. Where's Sirencester, which is where I'm just looking on the map now. That's where my sister lives. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 gettable too. It's a bit of a drive. I mean, it's it's Oxfordshire is tough to get around because there aren't really any roads of note. But yeah, no, I mean, I th- I think I think um, to me it was very recognisable as a, like a place that mm-hmm. you would. This is an archetypal village, um, and I guess I'm I guess I'm kind of interested from what you said that this is maybe the first time you'd ever spent time kind of walking around through the medium of television a typical british village yeah yeah it's uh it's lovely <laughs> it's very nice yeah. yeah and tom has the classic line let's check the pub <laughs> go to the pub yeah you yeah. get to have a have a ginger beer yeah mm-hmm. why not and sarah can't stand the stuff and that that uh is a it's the chekhov's uh ginger pop bottle pays off because that's how <laughs> The doctor knows or detects early on that it's a robot android duplicate of Sarah. It's a robot Sarah. Though I have to say, I'm sorry, you know, ginger beer is absolutely delicious, so I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> it's it's her one character flaw. That and weak so ankles. When, that's it, her weak, her weak ankles. Well, <laughs> Which would, again, you know, I mean, because they're so, I'm, this is a minor point, because they're so important to the plot, that then becomes a thing. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I hate my least favorite I'm not a big fan of the five doctors, but you know the 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 incline of reasonable <laughs> peril. That's not Sarah. That's not Sarah. Sarah just doesn't do that. Although she does tumble down the incline here. Although it is a it is a, uh, a edge of a well, it is it is the edge of a quarry. So it's the edge of a cliff. Yeah, and it's we a quarry, see the unit yeah. squatty go leap off there and break his neck. Yeah, which again, episode one is fantastic. It's mm-hmm. as I said, it's 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 the Avengers. It's you know, it's a it's a weird mystery. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, if it had been the Avengers, it would have been solved in a kind of weird mystery solving way. Because it's Doctor Who, the weird mystery has to be solved through a kind of space, you know, an alien invasion kind of way. Yeah. Which is what makes it unsatisfying compared to the rest of the season, really. And I think the the other bit of unsatisfyingness is just a reunion with Harry. It's not old friends seeing each other again. It's it's kind of a perfunctory reunion. Yeah. We spend most of the time with Android Harry and this is the one chance that we have to get Harry back in the TARDIS, and it doesn't happen. Yeah, which is sad. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we love Harry. Um, mm-hmm. And even then, I again, yeah. rewinding to my eight-year-old self, it's like, oh, why can't, why isn't Harry back on the team? He's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I think those elements all combine to just not the pinnacle of doctor who i guess i mean it's it's good it's good but it's not as good as the genius that surrounds it yeah uh, and i think in some ways you know it, it gets a bum rap simply by comparison with the rest of season 13 mm-hmm. um i think if you dumped it into another season um you'd be like oh yeah this is pretty much okay mm-hmm. yeah and it said it's cer- it's certainly entertaining yeah it would have been hard to dump it in into the surrounding seasons. You couldn't see this fitting in 12 or 14 either. So yeah, it's more of a season 11 story, if anything. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, strangely enough, is a, 
I know it wasn't the last time that uh, Nation wrote in season 12, so I don't know. He, he just doesn't hit the beats of the Tom Baker doctor, and maybe that was Hinchcliffe and Holmes letting the old hand run its course rather yeah. than... Well, I mean, it's, re- got, it, it's, it's got no Daleks in it. And, you know, I think maybe Nation felt a little bit kind of lost without his main, his, his Doctor Who characters. His crutch, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, the only other... It does have a virus, though. It does have a virus. <laughs> but, you know, if you compare it to Keys of Marinus, which, again, mm-hmm. is kind of very episodic and, you know, it's kind of action, 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 action until we're done with it. In some ways, this is sort of similar. You know, it's kind of here's some action, here's some more action, here's another thing, here's some more things, here's another thing, here's another cool thing, and oh, and now it's over. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's not as good as Keys of Marinus. I'm a big fan of of, um, of Keys of Marinus. Um, but um, uh, as I said, it, it's 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 perfectly enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So before we get going here, one one final question: Did you and your chums? Mates reenact the finger guns of the animals. Uh, we did. Uh, uh, so mainly, this is perfect. <laughs> oh yeah, finger guns, finger guns. Um, I, are you an android? Are you not an android? How do you tell your face falls off? Um, oh no, I've sprained my ankle. Those were the three takeaways that we mm-hmm. that, that, that came from this from this yeah. series. Were finger guns, sprained ankles, and are you an android? So it hit hit right for the audience. It was oh, yeah. again something that you can play. It had a familiar landscape that you could reenact or play in and perfect yeah and none of you wore wedge shoes wedge platform shoes so you didn't we didn't didn't twist your ankles we we, instead of actually twisting our ankles like sarah we just had to pretend to twist our our ankles it's uh if she really truly had all those ankle problems which i believe liv slayton actually did it's uh it's she should have chose different shoes. So yep, those... yep, like big boots. Yep, she <laughs> should have. She should have worn. Should should have worn kinky boots, like um, like Emma Peel go. is what she yeah. should have done. Yep, yep. Okay. Okay. Any final thoughts, or shall we conclude? Those are my thoughts. All right. So next time, Brain of Morbius seeds of doom. Ooh, looking forward to it. All right. Well, thank you for listening to episode one sixty three of the Metabulous Two podcast. I have been running around in my wedge platform shoes with Ben not trying to twist my ankles. <laughs> and I have been pulling on my kinky boots with David. <laughs> oh, <whatever. laughs> All right. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you.